again, thank y'all so much. We're about to get right into it. This is that hour that we all are waiting on. I want y'all to give a round of applause. Uh, make a lot of noise. Represent for this young lady that's been going hard for 52 weeks. We're your favorite political podcast. Where the party at? Y'all make some noise for Sapa. There we go. There we go. Thank you guys so much for coming out. This is our first live event. It's hard to believe. 52 weeks of podcasting. I got to tell you, a year ago, Eldridge came to me and said, Saba, you should do a political podcast. And if you really know me, you know I don't really talk a lot. And I'm like, I'm a listener. I like to absorb what other people are saying. I was like, what in the world am I going to talk about on a podcast for like 30 minutes or an hour. And so the first episode, I was like, oh my God, this feels so weird. Uh, but then a month or so into it, it was just like clockwork. And it's stuff that I have private conversations with friends, but now this is the first time talking about it and having other people listen. So I really appreciate you all coming out. We have two special guests tonight that I wanna bring up to the stage. You know who you are, please come up. Y'all, please give a hand clap for our special guests. I'm going to introduce them in just a second. All right, y'all. To my right, we have none other than the press secretary. Now, y'all know that we are a bipartisan, nonpartisan pod, right? So I don't believe in just giving the Democratic perspective on something. And I don't believe in just giving the Republican perspective on something. And had I been really thinking, I would have brought in a libertarian as well. <laughs> so first up, I want Garrison to introduce himself. And then we will have our illustrious state rep introduce himself. Uh, Turn your mics on. Uh, well, thank you for having me. Uh, my name is Garrison Douglas. Um, I am the Georgia press secretary for the Repub Republican National Committee. Um, I'm a Georgia boy. I've lived in Georgia most of my life. I'm originally born in Iowa, but um, grew up in Gwinnett County. Um, now live here in Atlanta. But um, I'm, just, I'm really grateful for the opportunity to you know, speak to everyone. I think it was a fantastic debate, uh, and I'm looking forward to diving right into it. First, just like to say thank you, Sabah and Eldridge, for putting this together. You know, oftentimes what you're going to see, as many of you already know, being in this area, when you're actually choosing to engage the public and actually be involved, you start seeing each other rise up to the levels that where we are so that we can actually have these types of conversations. This has been something that we've all kind of been waiting for, but it's just good to see that this is here. My name is Elma D. Holly. Uh, I am a two-term state representative uh, down in Henry County. Um, I flipped that seat back in 2018 by the biggest spread in the state at the time and held on to it. And also, I am proud to say I have uh, uh, a lot of my Morehouse folks here. Okay, I'm a Morehouse alum. And, uh, and I certainly have um, just the pleasure of being here to make sure that we can work towards highlighting the need for working families to have leadership which is going to represent you, but also make sure that you keep us accountable. Thank you, gentlemen. 
All right, let's dive right into it. Now, I'm going to start with you, Garrison, but I know you are the press secretary, so you know how to put the spin on it. <laughs> All right, so tell me your immediate reactions to the debate. What did Kemp do right? What did you say? Oh, no, why did you say that? Uh, I mean, well, I think first off, I think the governor had a fantastic um, performance today. Um, there were a lot of opportunities to address his record, which I think he did you know, very well when it comes to you know, where our state's economy has been, uh, record investments, record job growth. Um, that's something that we have seen this governor do, um, even coming out of an unprecedented global pandemic. That's not something that anybody can just you know, go through. Um, and I think he's led our state through grace in doing, in doing that. Um, you know, I think I personally, I think I would have wished there was a little bit more opportunity to talk about um, the future of investments in this state. The governor has had a great record in making sure that investments have occurred, not just specifically in the city of Atlanta or in the metro Atlanta area, but actually throughout the state. A uh, majority of the investments actually that have occurred over the past year alone um, have occurred without, outside of the metro Atlanta area, not specifically in the metro Atlanta area, as well as job growth. Um, so I think that's something I probably would have said, you know, let's get more into that. Uh, but overall, I give the governor an A. Okay, the governor gets an A. What does Stacey Abrams get? Stacey Abrams has to get an A+. Plus. Oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Listen, none of us are, are jaded by what we've seen on TV and what we've seen, you know, certainly at the level of the state. I remember being right there alongside our Democratic members to try to stop um, this so-called election integrity bill after Democrats throughout the state, mainly in black and brown communities, who got energized, went out, and actually chose our next senators. We got Senator Raphael Warnock, we got uh, John Ossoff in the Senate, and we flipped this entire American uh, presidency. And they saw that. And I know that what you hear there is being spoken by Governor Kemp is just a lot of distraction. He didn't show you how he was literally pulling money out of the pockets of average Georgians of all different colors, all different cultural backgrounds, but particularly for the African-American community. So I think that clearly you're seeing Kemp go by his record. He's always been focused on just the few of his friends, the very good old boy system that has long existed in Georgia. And certainly he's been in favor of handing out crumbs, particularly when elections come around. So I think with that in mind, you've actually been able to hear from Stacey Abrams how she really plans to take our focus about stabilizing society, allowing for those who have long been forgotten to bring us to the fore, but do so in the next governorship and not over the course of 100 years for Georgia to finally make good after its uh, slavery roots. Okay, I forgot that I had a state rep on with me, which means I gotta give y'all like some clear Time, All right. you know? <laughs> I'm a preacher's it's, it's an elected official with a mic. All right. All right, so my reaction was Stacey Abrams should have given Raphael Warnock debate prep. Because if she had, he would have performed very differently than he did Friday. That was my immediate reaction. All right, so let's jump into it. One of the first things we heard about was abortion. Now, abortion is one of those issues, if you look at where the public is polling, and this is what they alluded to in the question, the majority of the public is on the side of the Abrams campaign. However, the policies that are being implemented are counter to that. So even if 
let's just say Stacey Abrams wins the election. What can she realistically do to try to carve back what the Kemp administration and the Georgia General Assembly has already done as it relates to abortion access? Absolutely. You know, one of the things that people uh, oftentimes may have heard it, but you haven't actually seen it well exercised, certainly not by this governor, uh, is that when you actually have the governorship, you can exercise your power of veto. When you veto, that means that after you prevent that bill from being signed, it takes a two-thirds majority when you come back in to be able to pass that. Oftentimes, what we've seen in states where Democrats actually have taken power, like, for instance, in North Carolina, that has been used to a degree where it's been able to actually help. So particularly with respect to uh, House Bill 481, which was the six weeks abortion ban. And just for those of you who may not, you know, who even right to life uh, Republicans, many of whom I saw when that bill was being dropped on the floor, they weren't there for the signing. They were over there in the ante room eating donuts and drinking coffee because they knew that their wives would be on their backs about it. It only passed really by two votes, one Republican and one Democrat. The problem is, is that once you have that in place, even women who have dead fetuses in their body, they can't get an abortion. They have to carry that out either the full term or whether to go straight to the mortuary. So she can use the power of her veto to make sure that when we either the Democrats introduce that bill, if it does not get popular support, then that means she can hold up the bills that Republicans will want to pass in order to make their repeal necessary. And Garrison, let me ask you, I know next week the state Supreme Court is going to be reviewing this case, right? There's an appeal to the, to the legislation, to the bill. If the appeal is in favor of the Democrats, what would you what what do you think the Republican reaction to that is going to be in recognizing this is happening in the heat of the election? Uh, well, well, first, before I get to that, I, I would want to quickly respond to what my friend said here. Uh, friend, <laughs> the gentleman, uh, the gentleman over here. Uh, when it comes to you know miscarriage mis miscarriages in Georgia, um, we've heard the same sort of. We've heard the same sort of rhetoric used uh, by Ms. Abrams um, is actually completely false in regards to saying that women in Georgia would be investigated for having a miscarriage in Georgia. Not only is it wrong, in my opinion, to use such inflammatory language, but it's actually dangerous because as he had just stated, if women are not able to receive the health care that they need in those type of situations, that puts their very lives at risk. So I think it's time that we have to put to bed this. It's been fact-checked time and time again by PolitiFact and other sources saying that that is not the case. It's been fact-checked by legal experts as well. So I think that's the first and foremost what we have to give down pact. Um, in regards to any sort of appeal, um, Republican, look, Republicans believe in life. Republicans are committed to working to ensure that the sanctity of life is uh, protected, whether that's out of the womb or in the womb. Um, so. I can't tell you what exactly is going to come out of the assembly in regards to if you know, the heartbeat bill is uh, repealed, but what I can tell you is that it's not going to stop Republicans from protecting the right to, uh, right to life. So let me ask you this, Garrison, just as a follow-up. A few months ago, we did a podcast episode with three black women. One was an attorney uh, who had clerked to the Supreme Court. One was pro-access to abortion. The other was against access to abortion. In our conversation, we talked about a concept called whole life, and Republicans often, as you just alluded to, are pro-life. But there's a 
misconception or a feeling, perhaps, depends on who you talk to, but particularly among, among Democrats, that Republicans are so focused on before the birth, and then once you're born, you're on your own, pull yourselves up by your bootstrap. The government is not here for you. What do you say to that? Uh, I, I think, first of all, it's inaccurate. Um, uh, perception of what the party stands for. Reason why is this. Outside of the womb, there's a whole host of things that Republicans are fo fo focusing on. Education, for instance. Education for our children. When we see kids that are being stuck in failed schools, our solution is to allow them to have the opportunity to go to other schools. Obviously, the, the uh, idea is that if you just throw money at the problem, that that is going to solve it. We've seen that in D.C. We've seen that, that it doesn't work. We want to give children the opportunity to go to the same high caliber of schools that are you know, essentially achieving. That's a major issue that we're in support of, that Democrats are blocking. Democrats have blocked school choice time and time again here in the Peach State. In regards to you know, healthcare, Governor Kemp, and actually there's something I don't think we got to talk about enough during the debate, but Governor Kemp had a actual long-term plan for healthcare that was actually going to come into fruition had the Biden administration not blocked it. His Medicaid waiver expansion um, plan would have ensured more Georgians stuck in the gap. Why don't you explain what that is for the audience? Yes, so Governor Kemp had, um, obviously, you know, Ms. Abrams and a lot of Democrats have proposed uh, a blanket Medicaid expansion, which relies, or I guess my understanding is, uh, relies a lot on federal funding um, that does expire. Governor Kemp's plan would have required, had essentially put in place work requirements for folks within that gap. Um, not only did that allow us to save money at a state level, but it also ensured that that Medicaid, that that expansion at a state level ensured people permanently without having to raise taxes on Georgians. That was a very important thing. Unfortunately, uh, it was approved by, at a federal level at, in 2020. However, once Joe Biden, President Biden was uh, elected, uh, he chose to put it under review, so it was stopped from implementing, or for, uh, stopped from implementation, and then, about really a couple months ago, uh, the administration decided to formally revoke it. So now, all those thousands of Georgians who would have been covered under this plan are no longer able to be insured through the governor's plan. It's not true, but, you know, I gave you the length of time because I guess you're trying to compete here. So let's, let's put it's some not, facts it's on It's not a competition. Okay, no, no. It's not a competition, but I don't believe in standing up for liars. Let me tell you, and it's not you, but particularly our governor. The governor went and actually got together with his team. And at first, I want to actually preface that with this. You heard there on the screen that Governor Kemp said that he was in favor of expanding Medicaid for postpartum mothers from six months to a year. His legislature pushed through a bill by Democrat, uh, Senator Harbison, to actually get that passed. If you're a Republican and you truly believe that Medicaid is just too much for people to pass, then you don't support a bill to expand it for mothers in a state that ranks number two in the nation for more deaths of mothers postpartum. But you do that when you realize that, in truth, Medicaid expansion actually covers far more Georgians than just simply mothers. His bill, allowing for these 1115 and 1332 waivers, was solely so that you can actually have it so that the people who are busy working in our state, who are trying to do their best to afford health care, actually can't. His bill only covered 50,000 residents. 50,000 not the 650,000 who are in need of Medicaid. 
So again, if Governor Kemp, that's who I was talking about in terms of telling the untruth, if he truly believed that Medicaid expansion was wrong, he would not have actually put the bill forward and actually got it submitted and signed to allow for Medicaid to be available for postpartum mothers from six months to a year. But literally it's because it's an election season and he knows it's a whole lot easier to dole out a crumb to you rather than putting the money in there that actually takes care of families. I'm gonna give you an opportunity to respond and then I'll have one final abortion question for you and then we'll go to the audience for a question. Oh, okay. So uh, in regards to that, the governor's Medicaid expansion plan or limited expansion uh, did not just occur within an election year. It, it couldn't have occurred within an election year because it was blocked by President Biden after being approved in 2020. So in regards to that part, the governor believes in protecting life in, in regards to uh, improving the lives of Georgians, even through health care. And the reason why he rejects Ms. Abrams' plan for Medicaid expansion is because he doesn't do, believe in doing that at the same time as raising taxes on hardworking Georgians. He has been able to accomplish a great deal in this state regarding investments and regarding business growth, regarding that limited expansion plan without raising taxes on Georgians and during, it's actually during the, in the middle of a recession as well, I might add. This is incredibly important. We have to ensure that the policies that we are putting forward do good without causing damage to the long-term health of our economy um, and for many working families. Okay, and then my last abortion-related question. So in the Herschel versus uh, Warnock debate, there was a question about Herschel being supportive or not of a federal abortion ban. He had previously said that he was. He backtracked on that during the debate. And the debate tonight between Kemp and Abrams, it appeared that Kemp also backtracked on the IVF portion of this conversation. So if to talking to addressing this, this question for women in the audience and who are listening, who may maybe they know who they're gonna vote for, maybe they don't. But the whole conversation about abortion access, which by the way, doesn't just impact women. What do you say to them if they're really feeling like I'm hearing one thing from Republicans, but then they say this? They've, they're backtracking, they're, they're saying one thing to me today and another thing during a debate because they don't want to appear as being so out of touch with the court of public opinion on the issue. Well, I mean, I think what I would say to that is I believe that the governor, even through his remarks today, at the end of the day, still, he didn't waver on his support of the heartbeat bill. The heartbeat bill is still Right, but he said one thing about IVF access, and he said another thing on the debate stage about if a woman should be able to have IVF and if that's something that the state legislator might pull back on. The same thing also happened around Plan B, right? He was asked and privately if he thought that the state legislator should repeal access to Plan B, and he said, you know, that's something that we might want to look at. If I remember those remarks quite correctly, I believe he was saying that that's something for the assembly to look into. But the governor is that's, a, the never, governor can veto a bill. Right, but he never explicitly said that he was supporting that even in those private remarks either. So I don't think the governor flip-flopped or retracted any remarks. He, regardless of whoever's in office, the assembly can decide what they're going to look into with the speaker as well as the uh, Senate uh, president. They can, uh, but I think you and I, and certainly the state representative knows, if the governor wants something passed, it gets passed. Which he never said that that's something he wanted passed. And he if said the governor something... doesn't want something passed, he finds a way to make sure that bill gets killed. Yeah. 
This governor, as we've seen throughout his entire term, has made sure that he has allowed the assembly to work. Whether he supported things or not, if he hasn't supported it, you're right, he has vetoed it. But in time, in time and time again, he's allowed the assembly to do their work. He's put it in the power of our speaker, of their committees, uh, at a Senate level, he put it in regards to the lieutenant governor as well as the Senate presidents and m minority and majority leaders. That's how this governor is operating. He's not a dictator. He does not determine and tell the assembly what to do. He's never operated in that, for, uh, in that fashion. Um, so like I said, going back to his remarks, he never had said that essentially that that's something that he was supporting. He said that's something that the assembly can look into if that's something they so choose. But his position has not changed. We know that the Georgia heartbeat bill is the law within Georgia right now. That's something that he has said he supported time and time again. He's never wavered on that. Nor, and uh, in regards to your comment about Senator or Herschel Walker, um, he had made the same similar decision that, you know, that's a bill that he is going to support. He supports the heartbeat bill in Georgia, that's his uh, uh, platform. Okay, uh, just something for you all to be mindful of. Obviously, we're having a conversation about the governor's election, but there are statewide seats down the ballot. Garrison alluded to the lieutenant governor as one. The lieutenant governor oversees the Senate, right? So that's the person who's gonna be appointing committee chairs. They're helping shepherd legislation. So you, if depending on what's being passed or not, the lieutenant governor has a key role in that. I just want to make sure folks have a, a general idea and understanding of the process. Um, with that, why don't we go to an audience question? There are mics, so please take a mic. Say your name, and if you are affiliated with the party, feel free to say that, and then ask your question. Uh, hopefully, you'll ask the question that both gentlemen can answer. I guess while Mike's going, I was going to say, it seems like we spent more time on abortion than they did today. Which I was <laughs> Which surprised by. Yeah, it's, it's good to have these conversations. Good evening. Thank you so much. Oh, sorry. Do I need to step back? Okay. You good. Thank you so much for both of you being uh, here today. My name is Joshua England, um, and I work for a nonprofit out here in Atlanta, Georgia called Hope Through Soap that helps end homelessness uh, for adults and then also for children and then also families. And so to that point, I want to talk about or ask the question of either will either party be able to give some type of executive orders, powers, or plans to help end and um, really minimize the amount of homelessness uh, actions and then plans um, that have been surrounding specifically Atlanta and also the Buckhead area, but throughout the state of Georgia. Because as we know, and some that we may not know, that homelessness is a serious issue um, with so many different inter inter intersecting factors. And so I ask, what do these governors propose in eliminating that, uh, that gap and that large disparity from those being housed, not housed, and then the recidivism of those being chronically homeless? That's a Thank good question. Thank you for your question. Why don't you start, Representative? Sure. I know from personal experience there, in terms of actually the troubles that many of the homeless people are going through, especially through the pandemic, what we saw is that with a lot of those essential jobs, essential workforce, those required people on the ground actually doing the work. But what we saw was a very irresponsible governor allowing for people to go to work but unsupported. When they're unsupported, it was also during that time that his own labor commissioner closed Department of Labor buildings throughout the state. And guess what? It's still closed, still shut down. Now, what does that do for those who actually are requiring unemployment? It made it slow. 
slowly for them to be able to get it. How do I know? Because even as my, I have some helpful staff members here. Oh, Atia Kennedy, are you there? Stand up. All right, Krista Smith, stand up. All right, let me tell you, we have people who will volunteer their time outside of just doing their errands throughout the Capitol to make sure that people got their unemployment money. But we saw a governor that shut that down, and there's people now to this day who still could not get those unemployment funds. And they got, they were now some of the biggest, uh, the biggest number of those who have been unhoused over the last year and a half. We saw this governor made it a priority to also make sure that because he didn't expand Medicaid, he had more hospitals closed, six hospitals closed under his watch. Now, what does that do if you're in an area where you can't afford to go and see a doctor and you dang sure can't afford to keep the money that you paid your bills on your house? It means that you are now probably one of the many who are out here on I-75, under the bridges, I-85 with your tent. And no, you're not doing urban camping. You can't afford to live in a state where you're constantly being taxed even though you pay for the tax, whether it comes through your paychecks or whether you actually comes to you going buying a purchase of something as simple as a, as a little bottle of water. But that's his governor showing you what he prioritizes. He prioritizes making sure that companies that are able to afford bringing their workers from out of state here because we don't have enough Georgia residents who can actually do the jobs necessary because our Department of Labor, which actually is open to provide training for the advanced jobs to come, they're not open. And so therefore companies that come are having to import talent. Every time they import talent, that means as local Georgians like yourselves who are, not being, who are in heavy competition because they are not the priority. The governor's priority right now is what was expressed by uh, Stacey Abrams. I'm already ready to call her governor. It's already expressed by Stacey Abrams that literally he does not prioritize the expanding of opportunities for minority-owned businesses, black-owned businesses. And you should actually think about that because we're in the Russell Center, literally down the street from the Capitol. So because of that, unfortunately, when we actually have Governor Abrams, she's going to come in here and make sure that that $6.6 billion surplus that was amassed will actually be redistributed to make sure that families can deal with the rising effects of gentrification where they can't afford to live in their own facility and be able to actually provide them with access so they can get good jobs and right careers tomorrow so that we don't have to fight those who are coming into our state because our governor did not prior to prioritize local citizens. Okay, Garrison, the question was about homelessness. What's your response? It, 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 it was very amusing to me to, to, to hear that. And the reason why is this. If Stacey Abrams had been governor in 2018 and leading us through the COVID pandemic, minority-owned businesses would have suffered even more than they were through that pandemic. Under, <clears throat> under her plan and under her own remarks, Georgia would have still been closed. Georgia's economy would have been closed. That meant barbershops. That meant restaurants. That meant uh, 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 just local shops that have been owned by black moms, black pops uh, uh, throughout this state, not just in Atlanta, but in rural Georgia. So this idea- Man, stop playing with me, what? <laughs> and so I like to, and I, and I enjoy hearing about the- Our, 
All right, I, y'all. We're, I, not, we're, I, not, I enjoy- we're not going to do audience audience I, engagement. Hold on. I, I, I enjoy... I, 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 I will, ma'am. Um, and in regards to the Labor Department, so if we're complaining about the fact that the Labor Department was closed, why are we not concerned about the fact that the rest of black businesses had to be forced to close too as well and would have stayed closed under Stacey Abrams because she refused and commented multiple times in public interviews saying that she did not believe Georgia should have been open and up until recently had been saying that. So in regards to, if we're going regards into regards to, to homelessness, homelessness, which was in the regards question. To, yes, sorry, I, and I didn't forget your question. That's, I want to make sure I got to your question. I just, I just had to respond to that. But in regards, in, in regard, yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And so in regards to, you know, dealing with the cause of homelessness, the most important thing that can be done for those who are homeless is giving them a leg up, which is first and foremost, the ability to get the training that they need, as well as the ability to get a job. And so when your economy is thriving, when you're, a lot, when you're in a, a, a situation where your economy is creating job openings for folks in, in regards to also training as well, that's a crucial leg up uh, that's absolutely necessary. If your economy is in the downturn, if we're losing jobs in the state, which we would under Stacey Abrams, that's not gonna help those who are homeless. So when Governor Kemp is lowering taxes, incentivizing workforce training, Georgia's number one in the country right now for workforce development training. That is because of this governor's actions. So he's gonna continue to build on that. That is a solution. What we aren't gonna do is we're not gonna do what a lot of Democrats have done in cities across the country, especially in places like Atlanta, and bus homeless people out of the the city and into the suburbs in order to remove the problem. So they they look good. That's not what we're gonna do. We're gonna continue to give homeless people a leg up in regards with workforce training and creating jobs. Want to fly? Is All that right. what you mean? All right. <laughs> or so Joe Biden. L- 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 let me ask another related question, which is related to homelessness. We know that Metro Atlanta is one of the most expensive places to live, and that is rising every day. And it's not only a Metro Atlanta problem, but it's also becoming a rural Georgia problem, the cost of housing the cost of not only just having a house, but having housing that you don't have to move every so often, right? We know that it impacts healthcare access. We know that it impacts schools and kids. So just quickly, uh, Representative, you, you can address briefly what you all have already done in the state legislature to address this issue and what you would like to see Stacy do if she were elected to address this issue. So I just want to um, remind people that that legislature, this ain't checkers, this is chess. So just as you all are sitting here, start connecting the dots. What this governor wants you to believe is that everything is just one thing, that it's not connected, that you can dole out a little bit to teachers and you'll be just fine. $5,000, you'll be just fine. And he's not actually telling you that Georgia Can you public specifically schools. answer the question. Oh, about no, I housing. will. All right. All right. I will. I will. This is about housing, right? All right. Housing is not only by itself. You actually have to make sure that people have the money to stay in the houses that they're in. We have. I know that. Why? Because we're in Henry County and Henry County. We just surpassed Gwinnett and Atlanta Region and Commission stats as being the fastest growing county in, in Georgia. Fastest over all 159 counties. The way that you have people making sure that they can stay in their house is that you allow for you having an earned income tax credit available for people in rural areas. 
Because when you actually have rural incomes, you have more money, you can actually afford the houses that are there. Developers are coming. Don't get me wrong. Developers are here throughout the state. But what you're seeing by the 2020 census is that the population is shifting and more people are moving into urban areas. But the problem is for those rural areas where people are unhoused, when you don't have local hospitals because you don't have the funding to keep them open when the governor denies them to have the payment, when you have it where local school systems throughout Georgia have not gotten the funding they need since 1985, we're not talking about the computer age, we're talking about when kids are literally on typewriters. When you don't have resources there to make sure that mothers can raise their children, this is actually what you get. You get a state that does not prioritize working families to get access to an earned income tax credit so they can afford the houses. Houses are being built. The problem is you have to ask, can Georgians who are just like you be able to afford them? And when you can't afford them, all that means is that the governor, he's just going with the same good old boy system that's long existed in Georgia. You, you know who he's not taking care of. So, so, is this not working? Hello? Okay, there we go. In regards to housing, first and foremost, we have to look at what the cause of it as well is. And when we see that a lot of actually private companies are actually coming in and purchasing homes across the state and actually putting them up for renting, that's driving up the cost of homes in this, in this state specifically, companies like BlackRock. And I find it very interesting that Stacey Abrams has actually uh, uh, you know, criticized that operation while at the same time ignoring the fact that BlackRock has been the number one, one of the top contributors to her own running mate, Senator Raphael Warnock. So in regards to who's actually going to have the backs of those who are being affected by BlackRock's purchasing up of land and homes in this state, it's not going to be Stacey Abrams. Governor Kemp has actually proposed through the budget surplus that they were mentioning through this debate, using uh, giving thousands of dollars with the tax credit specifically for home for people purchasing homes within this state. That's a crucial first step in regards to you know uh, addressing these rising costs of uh, housing prices in Georgia. The second thing is, once you're in the home, what's another thing you're dealing with? Your utility costs, heating, electricity. Those prices are going up across this country and people are unable to afford it. They're not able to put gas in their tank. These are all making it harder to be able to afford, not only to buy a home, but to afford living in your home. And, in regard, and why are we seeing that? We're seeing that because of 40-year high inflation due to massive government spending at a federal level. Now, Governor Kemp has tried his best uh, uh, to you know, reduce the impact of that, like I said, with the tax credit you know, that's coming out um, or that'll be proposed in the next session of the assembly. Um, but he's also doled out tax credits, uh, 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 tax refunds, tax cuts. That is something that is crucial in regards to helping people be able to live in their homes, purchase those homes. But if we do not get runaway spending under control, we're going to continue to be dealing with a federal government, uh, sorry, a federal reserve that is having to jack up, jack up interest rates, which is impacting people's ability to afford a mortgage, to be able to stack uh, uh, up those monthly payments, and that's going to be devastating for black home ownership for decades to come. Hold, hold, hold. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So just one thing, you're going to hear a lot of questions and conversations about these candidates' policies. I'm not going to be able to, in real time, fact check yeah, yeah. exactly what each of these gentlemen are saying. Check, I know, check, they check. both said things that I'm like, ah, that's not right. So, I said both. 
So what I want you to do is go to their websites, go to Stacey Abrams' website, go to Brian Kemp's website, look and see what they have said on the issues. Now, these two gentlemen are great surrogates for the campaign, but ultimately the person that you need to hear from and read on the issues are the candidates themselves, okay? Now, we'll next go to an audience question. Again, please state your name. If you would like, state your party affiliation and then ask the question. Thank you. Okay, um, Minister Serva Tavares, Hip Hop Ministries and Black Power Media. Um, I'm an independent. Um, I have a question. Um, Congressman Hank Johnson and uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman have introduced the Restoring Artistic Protection Act or the RAP Act, which protects artists, particularly rap artists, from lyrics being used against them in court. Uh, Governor Newsom has already passed it in California. What is the point of view of uh, Abrams and Kemp as far as the RAP Act? Garrison, would you like to start that? Sorry, in regards to the, the, the RAP Act, is that what you said? The RAP Act. So what he's talking about is, I got you. What he's You're talking, talking about. about the, you said the, that's the name of the congressman's bill, is, correct? So again, this is federal legislation that would prohibit uh, law enforcement, particularly the Justice Department, to go after rappers based off of what they have said in their lyrics. Uh, so in regards to that, I mean, I don't think the governor specifically has a position on that specific issue. Ma main reason why is due to the fact that, like I said, that is going to be a federal piece of legislation. But the second part is at a state level, that's typically done among the DAs as well as the attorney general, Chris Carr. California, two days ago, just did the same thing. So as governor, uh, she was, uh, uh, Kim would have the same ability and Abrams, but if they're not aware of what's going on, just say that as opposed to they can't do it. No, no, I would say I just don't believe he has a position on that particular issue. Because that, that's he doesn't know about it then. That's what, that's what you're saying. I did not say that. I said he doesn't have a position. Does he know about it? Let me ask you that directly then. Does he know about the rap act that, 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 that Georgia, Georgia Congressman Hank Johnson and Congressman Jamal Bowman has already put forward? Is he aware of that? What I, I, I what I do know is that the government yes or no what the governor what the governor is, has is he doesn't have a position on that specific bill that's not something he can't vote on he hasn't said that he's going to put forward legislation similar to that so I I, I I'm not going to say that the governor you know supports or does support because he himself has not expressed a position on that okay thank you I mean that I'm, that's I mean that's just me being factual we got you. So uh, this is a question that came up and I think is well needs to be heard by Stacey Abrams. And it, as much as I would love to put on a Stacey Abrams costume, I am not her. So what I would suggest you do is what I encourage everybody to do. When you log on to StaceyAbrams.com forward slash vote, there's also an email down there and she will be able to respond to you. The good news is, is that with regards to her policies, she wants to make sure that we actually have a criminal justice system that actually is fair for, for those who have long been on the unfair side of it. That's really what that rap pact actually focuses on. Right now, we know that it's locally an issue because we see District Attorney Fulton County, Fonnie Willis, actually prosecuting a very tough case against YSL and Young, you know, Young Thug and Gunner, right? And all of the, the the, the gang activity that this governor swears that he's in favor of. But here's the truth. We have a pro-mass incarceration governor, and I know that doesn't come into a surprise to many of you. 
He is he has made his money off of supporting interests that help for for sorry, he has helped those who are in favor of keeping folks incarcerated under a private prison industry, getting them a lot of money. What you have saw, what you've seen, I think you'll probably be able to allude to this later. Yes, you have guns flooding the streets. Why? Because when you have that bill uh, that actually I spoke against, when you have the uh, permitless carry, the big problem that everybody didn't see, yes, now you have everybody to access guns. You have very limited stipulations in there. But here's what you don't see. The governor also signed into law Senate Bill 479, and that bill actually allows for those who are picked up as first offenders, if you're on parole or you're serving out uh, on, on um, your own parole or probation, if you get arrested and you got a gun on you, however many guns you have on you, they have to charge you for those guns. That's us, you're literally having people being set up to be put into a system that constantly generates money, especially the private person industry, to actually keep people behind bars. So with respect to your question, sir, again, I do advise you or suggest that it would probably be your benefit to go on stacyabrams.com forward slash vote email her that question, but in terms of maintaining the type of industry in Georgia that has long been able to carry on by keeping black and brown bodies in its, in its, in its prisons and being able to help campaign donors that Kemp has on his payroll, here's what you gotta understand. The truth is, is that Governor Abrams doesn't want that. She will work against that, and she will be able to stabilize the black community in a way that Governor Kemp can only dream of. All right, Garrison, I'm going to give you, I'm, I'm going to be like the, the debate moderator. I'm going to give you 15 seconds to add anything you want to add to what he said. I want to make sure that this gentleman here um, understands, like I said, similar to him, I'm not the governor. And so, like I said, I, I, I'm not going to come up here and I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to try and say one way or the other, but... I just want to make sure you understood, and I definitely would advise you the same. Governor Kemp is very accessible in regards to that website as well, his team as well, um, and I would definitely encourage you to visit his website as well. That was smart. Weezy that was smart. All right, Mr. Party over there. All right, well, let's get in one more audience question. Gentlemen in the back, again, say your name, say your party affiliation if you have one and then ask your question. Okay, my name is Shane Ward. I'm currently uh, listed as a Republican, um, although <coughs> I, I tend, tend to lean independent. Um, I wanted to ask Garrison about uh, your views on the, um, were there any other candidates that you would have voted for for Senate other than Herschel Walker in the previous election? And if so, if so, why? And if not, why? I mean, I mean, okay. Uh, for <laughs> in regards to Herschel Walker, I support our Republican nominee. Uh, that's okay. You know, that's, in the primary, did you vote for Herschel Walker? I did vote for Herschel Walker in the primary. Interesting. Okay, over Kelvin King. Oh, the, I, oh, I, I, I oh, have why? to ask you this, sir, because I would rather have voted for you to run for Senate than Herschel Walker, who lived in Texas for 10 years before he came here. You know this, 
and a lot of other people who may think about voting for him may not know this, but he came here, I guess either this year or last year, to run for Senate. So why do you think that he's the uh, optimal choice for the Republican leadership for the next six years in the Senate? So, I mean, if we're going to be switching gears to Senate, I'm happy to do that. But we're, just, we're talking about Georgia politics broadly. Yeah, okay. that's right. relevant. Well, so, okay, so in regards to that, uh, I don't personally believe where someone's from specifically because Herschel Walker was born in Georgia and grew up in Georgia. Now, if you spent a few years outside of Georgia, I don't believe that disqualifies you for uh, uh, to, to run in Georgia, because if so, that would mean Stacey Abrams also could have run. Stacey Abrams wasn't, born, wasn't even born in Georgia. So I don't believe it should be a disqualify. I think we've been beyond that. I think Georgia has welcomed people from across the country. Uh, and Herschel Walker is someone who spent, a, yes, a few years out of the state, but he was born here. He's, he's uh, went to school here, uh, uh, both. Hold on, hold on. I, I got you, I got you, you're good. So just Garrison specifically answer why, why I supported Herschel, Herschel Walker? Walker. Well, sorry. Why he, did he, you support Herschel Walker in the primary? I understand you saying I'm a Republican, I'm going to vote for the Republican nominee. But in the primary, when there were a number of options, including a lot of folks that other Republicans thought were much more credible, why? Oh, I can I can call like at least five right now. Herschel Herschel why? won more than seventy percent of the vote. That so doesn't mean that he was a credible candidate. So again, the question is, why did you vote for Herschel in the primary over other options? I voted for Herschel Walker. I believe I voted for Herschel Walker because I believe he represents a great deal of folks outside of this bubble that is Metro Atlanta. Uh, I believe he understands what Georgia's about, not basically right off of uh, Piedmont Road. Uh, or, or, or Fair Street. I believe Hers Herschel Walker represents folks who, who, I mean, we see this time and time again, even in the media, in regards to uh, attacking the way he talks. So anybody who's spent time outside of the Metro Atlanta area knows that a great deal of folks, uh, 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 you know, understand uh, uh, how he talks uh, because they know someone in their family who talks just like him. Uh, so in regard, hey, in hey, regards to that, you know, like I said, at the end of the day, this comes down to who's going to be the best person, in my opinion, to defeat Raphael Warnock. And the fact that Raphael Warnock has spent more than $54 million to defeat Herschel Walker and is still within so you the thought he race. So you thought he was more competitive? I, I said my first part, too. I said he represented the majority of Georgians, in my opinion, in regard to, you know, outside of the Metro Atlanta bubble as well, which I think is a very crucial thing. I think we're so used to this uh, uh, extremely polished Atlanta uh, uh, vibe in regards to our candidates, uh, but I think folks outside of the metro Atlanta uh, area also deserve representation. Okay. I, I have to give Keith, who if you all listen to the podcast, you hear me have a back and forth sometimes with Keith. He is none other than the man on the mic, the sound engineer. He has a question, so I'm going to allow Keith the opportunity to ask his question, and then we'll go right back to a couple more from me. You already know what I'm about to ask. Um, oh, I, I think I do know what you're about to ask. Yeah, yes. Uh, I just want to know from both representatives, um, what do we have specifically for black people, i.e. black men? They said a lot in the debate, a lot of minority, right? A lot of cover all 
and it's fine, but I'm black and I'm a black man. I want to know specifically what Kemp and what Abrams has for me. Um, answer that and then raise your hands in the crowd if y'all have some more questions, we're going to get to that. Got it. Okay. Let's first start with you, Representative, because I feel like I've had my back to you for a while. So please come into the conversation specifically what is the what is abrams planning to do for black men and what this has been a topic a lot during the debate or during the entire election of is she resonating with black men why isn't she what did what do black men need to hear from stacey abrams and what is she saying and not saying so listen this black man who you've seen on tv rooting for stacey abrams let me tell you the whole black thing about, oh, Stacey Abrams, where's she losing with black men? This is a distraction. It's the same distraction they used when they were talking about black on black crime, what, 20 years ago, but at the same time, they were flooding black communities with drugs and guns. We all seen this outcome. It's a crabs in the barrel mentality that they want you all to have. Truth is, in terms of Stacey Abrams' platform, she's been doing that. When it comes to actually having, again, we're talking about that earned income tax credit and making sure that our schools get the money. You already seen this governor. He doesn't want public schools getting that money. He wants his same people who are in the private. I'm sorry, sir. Listen, I was going to say, listen. if I don't say something, yeah. I know Keith is going to jump <laughs> in. This ain't the debates. I'm asking directly. You know what I'm saying? Earn income, everybody get that. And I understand that. And it's, it's respect because this is a platform. I'm a black man. What does Stacey have for me? I stomped for Stacey the first time. Don't get me wrong. This time, I want to know what she got for me. She has is really to get us in terms of getting a minority contracts. That's black folks. Wait a second. In this state, if you have less than 10% of the businesses going to the contracts when the governor actually does his procurement, goes to black-owned businesses, dude, that's my money. That's your money. I know, and I understand that. Yeah. But what I want to know is- How is that not us? Because it says minority, I don't see anything specifically. I don't know if I, if I don't know if it'll trickle down right. the way it's supposed to always trickle down yeah. to these black-owned businesses. If you've seen the report, the average black business has sixty thousand dollars. So here's what, not even. So, so here's, here's here's what you people have to know about this. All right, we have something that on a federal level we can actually in the state actually we can message it for black men, but we can't actually to write it in as black men. Literally, that's a, that will, it won't even be, so when last, they had that it'll program, go to the Supreme Court and get knocked out. So when they had that program for black women to get those checks specifically. Oh, wait, 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 hold, hold, hold. What did you see that it actually was written there that it said black women checks? You don't see that. After this, I'm going to show you, because I, I, I come with the facts. And oh, I don't yeah, yeah. To, oh, no, 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 no. Because that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I see... I see a lot of specific things. Like I come from Gwinnett County, right? And I see specific things for specific groups. So, well, we'll hold up with that. Let me let me do that, okay. right? So, those specific things for those specific groups, right? When it comes to legislation, which is what we do at the Capitol, we pass laws, right? Those that actually say, in terms of black, how it's going to affect black women, don't get passage with a Republican-dominated legislature. When a governor gets there who is black. Her responsibility is to say, hey, look, I'll look at the bills that Democrats already pushed for, the ones that you kill automatically or never even see committee that literally say they're going to help out black folks, particularly when we said uh, maternal mortality and we're talking about 
over-incarceration of our prison systems. That's us. It don't have to say black for over-incarceration. Over-incarceration is real. And when you have a governor who literally is giving millions to consultants to expand the prison population, but you're not allowing for those same that same money to go in and making sure that our Department of Labor gets open so that all of us can get jobs. This same governor who won't even allow for Georgia labor, which has put so many more black men, giving them apprenticeships back into society, giving them money. That's what she's been in support of. We've seen a governor that is not in support of that. And that's why I tell people all the time, Georgia is a state that based its earliest money off of human trafficking. And that money never disappeared, which is why we can talk about erasing racism all day. But until you change the conditions that continue to persist because that same money is still in the system, allowing the good old boys to continuously get those contracts and keep it out of black hands, then we'll still have a governor who will still only focus on su supplying that for just his few and never for black men or black women. But just get this R clear. Wrap it up. I'm black men stand strong with black women. Don't believe the hype. It's a distraction. If you got a UGA poll that came out that has Kemp in the lead, and this is UGA is his alma mater. That's the school he graduated from. It's real clear when you look at these polls. I want you to remember this. I don't think if it's Kemp not graduating with, from UGA has anything to do with the poll right, results. I want you to know this. If you didn't get polled, you didn't get that phone call, right? It's real clear. If it's about us, but it is without us, it will always doubt us. Okay, so Garrison, the question is about what is Kemp's agenda specifically for black men? What's your response? So I think, uh, I'm not sure if you said it was bipartisan or nonpartisan, but I will say we might have a bipartisan moment here. Um, I, I do agree with the gentleman. I need some sound effects on that one. <laughs> I, I, I do agree with the gentleman here when it comes to when you write specific legislation, uh, having you know the nomenclature you know or ad, you know adjective you know black this black this that's just that's not going to work i don't agree that it's because of partisan reasons i believe there's obviously you know legal reasons for that um but i think here's what you look at because i just i do agree with what he's saying what are the issues specifically that are affecting black men in this country? You may not have to actually write it as, yes, black men this, black men that, but if you're having trouble accessing capital in this state to generate your business, if you're having trouble uh, making sure to you know, pay these bills that are happening through your company or for your family, that's a real issue. And so when we're talking about uh, 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 building generational wealth within the black community. That starts with having a work-friendly environment. You have to be able to have workers that can uh, are that reliable, well-trained. Uh, you have to be able to ensure that you have the ability to uh, work with a small business association at a national level, but also at a state level. You have to have the ability to uh, uh, have a strong, healthy tax base as well. You don't want to be overtaxed. You don't want to have to be doling out, you know, 10, 15% or, you know, 20% of you know, your hard-earned money as a, as a, as a business owner uh, uh, just before you do anything else, because you're also having to pay your employees. So ensuring that Georgia is a business-friendly environment, but also a safe environment. We talk about crime. We talk about crime. Receiving investments from companies uh, or from, uh, uh, from investment bankers at a national level and a state level, 
They're not going to invest. If you're opening up a business in a high crime ridden area, they're not going to invest in your business because that puts them in a position of potential huge major losses. If, you're, if your business shop or whatever gets burned down, they lose that money. So ensuring that neighborhoods are safe, ensuring that, you know, the, that they're being well patrolled, ensuring that your businesses can thrive, that helps build real generational wealth in the black community. That's not being talked about enough on both sides, I will say, but I do believe that if we're talking about policies, making sure that we have those low taxes, ensuring that our communities are safe are the very first steps in regards uh, uh, to moving black men forward. So, so then how does Kemp tackle crime without specifically targeting me? Because normally when I hear Republicans say crime, I see increases in our areas, but I don't see increases in areas where you know there could be some illegal activity going on, but it's not patrolled the same. So when you talk about the crime rates and the crime stats, I might not even be doing business in the area that has these crimes. So like I say, when I, when I say what specifically for us, all right, if that crime gets cleaned up, how do we make sure that we're not caught up in that suite? So what you do is you ensure, so what this governor has done and has proposed within his plans as well, is ensuring that our police departments have the funding that they need. Funding doesn't just go to ensure our police officers is present in the city. That is that what funding necessarily specifically means. It also means it ensures that they have the training that they need to actually do community policing, being a part of their community. So in regards to if you're building your business within the community, mm -hmm. if you have an officer who's continued patrolling your neighborhood, who's been trained, is culturally aware, they also have the ability to know, oh, hey, yeah, uh, I'm not going to arrest this guy who's black breaking into his own business because I know them. I'm in this community on a regular basis. Yeah, That's so, but, the first but why step. do we have to increase the police? Like, why is there, is there funding for community policing for the communities to police themselves? Does the governor support that? Because I don't want more police. That's a that's a that, that'd be more of a. I, I don't need more. I've seen police being charged. I've seen a black uh, chief being charged of some white officers at a black location, and a black boy got accosted. And the black officer came and told them to leave, and they looked at him like they were his boss. Now, if you increase police, how do I make sure that when I own my business and own my property, unless the business owner comes out and cusses the police out to leave, how do I make sure I'm safe? I want to make money in Georgia. So first and foremost, I, I will say this, because... <laughs> The funding, yes, could be done at a state level because obviously we're talking about uh, like state patrol and stuff like that when we're talking about state level funding. But in regards to like if we're talking about like Atlanta City Police, that's about also getting involved at all levels of government. So we're having a conversation about Georgia politics. It's not going to just start with the governor. It's going to be making sure that we're having these conversations from the top all the way down uh, uh, to municipal levels. So ensuring that any funding, any incentives that they do receive are actually being utilized because we've seen it time and time, time again, not just in Georgia, but across this country where funding for police departments are being misused and misappropriated. So ensuring that we're putting the right people in office at city levels as well is, at a, is very important to, to that very question. Um, but first, they need to be able to have the funding available to be able to do it. Um, All right, wrap so, it up. Yeah, sorry, yeah, right. I, 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 I want to make sure. But um, okay, let's that, go. that's just that's some of the things. But I, I'm happy to talk to you about it more because I, I think that's very important. Okay, gentlemen, please again say your name. If you have a party affiliation, say that and then ask your question. No problem. Good evening. My name is Derek. So my question for both men about the open carry policy, which is, in my personal opinion, a bit ridiculous. But what was the reasoning behind it? And under Abrams, will it continue? Open carry. Open carry yeah. Does she have any uh, plan to continue it or modify it? Because so why don't we start with Garrison and then we'll go to you? Yeah, that's fine. Um, and I just kind of want to clarify. 
want to clarify, when you're saying open carry, are you referring to uh, like the recent concealed uh, carry bill? Yeah, so Governor Kemp and Republicans, a lot of Republicans had uh, supported that legislation, mainly because of bureaucracy. I know I've heard a lot of this thing about, okay, all right, we're removing background checks. That's not, but that's not the case. When you, no, it is not. When you purchase a gun in this state, regardless of what license you have, you have to take a background check at the gun shop. That is a requirement. That was not removed. It was removed in regards to actually your licensing in order to carry. Those are two separate issues. The, so the reason why that was done was ensuring that folks have the ability to uh, 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 be able to carry their weapons uh, in this state. At the end of the day, criminals already have the guns. This idea that concealed carry is going to lead to criminals getting guns is a fallacy. They already have the guns. This was about ensuring, I, there are folks who have, I, for instance, my father, he carries. My father had to apply for a permit. It took 90 days for him to be able to do it. Now, I know some people are here exaggerations like, oh, well, if you need a gun within 24 hours, what's the deal? That's not the situation. But 90 days, I think, is completely unreasonable. I think just reducing the bureaucracy while still keeping Georgia safe. Like I said, we did not remove background check requirements for purchasing a weapon in this state. They're still, they can't purchase. The same, the same people in this state who were prohibited from owning a gun in Georgia are still prohibited from owning a gun in Georgia. The bylaw, the gun, the concealed carry permit did not say, did not grant access to everyone to have a gun. What it did was it allowed people who are already legally able to possess a firearm to carry it without a license. This is a licensing issue. It has nothing to do about possession of firearms. It has nothing to do about background checks because if you go back and look, it had nothing to do with, it had nothing to do about uh, purchasing guns in this state. Those background checks are still in place to this day. So if you have mental health issues, if you're a felon, if you were prohibited from being able to own a firearm before, you are still prohibited from owning a firearm today, and you're still not able to uh, carry, whether open or concealed in this state. So uh, I don't believe that you've been told the full truth of that. <laughs> okay, all right. True. Gladly. So. When you get, it, federal government will still do the background checks. The Brady Bill actually made that available, right? The problem is, is that with this bill, and I remember because I spoke in the well against this bill uh, on behalf of the House Democratic Party. The problem is, is that this bill doesn't actually, in our state, again, remember I said about checkers and chess? In our state, used to have people actually be able to, with that permit, it goes before a probate court judge. The probate court judge actually will make a determination in terms of whether or not people who are having mental issues, whether they actually can have access to that gun. What you just heard this gentleman over here say is that those who had those prior restraints on them where they had mental issues and they could not get a gun, that that will still be in place. But he didn't say nothing about those who would newly be actually applying for those gun permits who, are, who, them, who, who would have a mental health issue. Ment people with mental health issues aren't those who were just uh, available or just around before that law was put into place. People all the time have mental health issues. And there's no way to check that for particularly for gun purchases online. 
We all know that we live in a society where there are ghost guns. You can now have a 3D printer and you can create something that's very similar to a gun, but it doesn't actually have the pinpoints in there. You can literally take that, buy it off the internet, take it home, drill the holes in there, and put yourself together a ghost gun that doesn't even have a registered number on there. That's what this governor has allowed for people to have. And here's the other side. What that permitless carry law, what it does, it takes away the mandate that you actually have training for the firearm that you purchase. So that means you can have people, we've seen them, they hold a gun like this, hold a gun like this, can't cock it right, spraying people, but that's all right for this governor. Because again, this is the same governor, remember I said, he went and signed Senate Bill 479. So if you're a first, in defend, a first offender, like if you're a mother out here or a father, and your child either picks up a gun or is in the car with somebody who has a gun, they get arrested, it says that they shall, they shall charge them. Not that they have the discretion, no, they're getting that charge. That's felony charges on their record stacks up the prison. Again, why did this governor do it? Because he saw that he was getting the backlash from the MAGA crowd when he decided not to go ahead and, and do what he did in 2018 and do that for, for President Trump, go and find some votes, right? So what happened? All the MAGA crowd was right outside of the governor's mansion in Buckhead with their firearms, and he, he did what most politicians do. They run. He all right, ran to all the right, NRA all right, all right, all right. At a time with, hold on, I'm sorry. With, at a time where crime is through the roof, you, are you really you, telling Georgians that they are, is Stacey Abrams' position really that Georgians are supposed to wait 90 to 120 days to be able to possess a firearm in this state? Is that really what we're supposed to be telling Georgians? Aren't we at supposed, a time, wait a second, at, I'm surprised that Republican Party is not pro-police. If you're so pro-police, then you let officers do their job and not actually have folks who do, do not right. clear background checks get access to as the host, I'm going to have the last word on this topic. I will say this. As someone who has worked directly with law enforcement, what they have privately told me and what we have publicly seen in Texas on this issue, because they also got rid of the same bill, the same law, they don't like the law because it makes their job more difficult. They have to assume that everyone is packing and you just don't know if they're going to pull out a gun on you or not. And I'm saying this as someone who is proudly 2A. I have brothers, I have parents, I have family members who carry. So I don't have a problem with guns. I don't want idiots with the guns. All right. They still won't. That's the last. And they still won't. I just said I'm gonna have a last word on that topic. All right. So, y'all, we have way more questions than we have time. So what I'm gonna ask you to do is leave a voice note. Keith can tell you how to do that. Ask your question via the voice note. We will get that question answered. The last question, there was, I know, I'm sorry, dear. We are just so out of time. Jay said, I get one more question. <laughs> Only okay. because the DJ said you could do it. I don't have a problem with that. All right, so um, thank, first of all, thank you all. And this is, it's, it's amazing just to be in this space. And so thank you to the Atlantic Civic Circle, the rest. Rice Center for sponsoring this. Like, I think it's important that we don't forget that we've been gathering like this for a long time, a long time. Campfires, church basements. You know what Can I, I mean? Can I get some like, organ music? We, you know, I mean, I think this is really important. And so, thank. First of all, thank you all for all being here. And here's my question. Like, I know what the Democratic Party stands for. I know what the Republican Party stands for. I know all the talking points that they probably prepared you all to talk about tonight. Here's the thing. We can all see the future in this room. 
in November, either Brian Kemp's going to win or State Raven's going to win. We know that, right? That's the future. The question I think I have, and I think we have, and we've been having for generations, is regardless of who wins, how do we win? Like, I, we, understand the, the, we understand the party lines. That's not really the question. The question is, how does Atlanta, once again, how does Georgia become that leader around human rights, around civil rights, and not about like, well, yeah, if Brian Kemp wins, we know what Republicans stand for. If Stacey wins, we know it. We, we get it. How do we win regardless of what the ballot shows in November? And so that question is for all three of y'all, because I love y'all brothers, but we got to give the sister a chance to chime in too. So I think... The DJ said we should start with the brothers and let the sister have the final word. All right, Representative, why don't you start? I'm going to have the final word. You start, and then we'll go to Garrison and I'll end it. I'll just tell you for me. Oh, is this on? Yeah. So, okay, good. All right. So, I'm going to tell you for me, right? This is me not being the surrogate of Stacey Abrams, all right? Because I never wanted to run for office. It literally took the death of my sister back in July of 2017 and then my best friend three months after that to realize that, you know, affordable health care is real in our communities. And if you can't get it, then we see in our families, we, I never thought she would be gone, but they're gone. <sighs> Staying active in this, the reason why, you know, we've seen Saba, I've seen Eldridge and seen so many others in the community is because we stay active with a lot of those grassroots organizations doing the work right now. But right now, if you're a black man, if you hear me, if you, where you black hand, uh, let me see, black man, raise your hands up in here. All right? For, the, for those for, listening later, there are a significant number of handsome. Significant, okay. A significant Major. number of handsome black men in the room. Major. So one organization of which I've been long affiliated and is still doing the work. In fact, we just had our watch party up at the gathering spot. We probably have to change that now. We got Russell here, um, is Black Male Initiative Georgia. You all can pull out your phones. Go to BMI Georgia, spelled out, dot org. BMIGeorgia.org has long been in the place to make sure that people get access so that it can, it doesn't have to take a field organizer to who knows how to the mastery of knocking doors and getting people elected to just take his own advice and get in there. But the thing is, is once you realize how the system operates and how you already know how it operates, but to get into it, it's the inner parts of it that you don't see. Probably everybody in the room probably thinks we we probably passed at the Capitol, maybe like 50 bills, right? 100 bills, what you think, right? 50, 100? Now how about no? We can introduce 4,552 bills that were introduced and 2,500 of those or more became law. But people don't see that. You're not gonna find that on the news media because they don't want you to see that 80 to 85% of the bills that we pass actually have Republicans and Democrats agreeing. But part of that is because you're not in the room. We need to have more black civic groups that are doing the work to show up at the Capitol and get in our ears. And they, they are there. The C4 table, they're there. You got New Georgia Project. You got a Democracy for America. You've got so many local ones that are there, Georgia Quality. And the thing is, while these organizations are nice and have nice limited budgets, they have limited people. So when you come in with your time, volunteer, and then donate in, 
you become a stakeholder in that conversation. And then what we say, it really ain't nothing new because you've already been there for the conversation. BMIGeorgia.org, and there's plenty of others out there. That's how I say get connected because only way, I mean, if not, you're going to be like me, allowing that same Republican to hold my seat, and I wouldn't have that. $30 billion. Not, not enough. Put it like this. Every no, no. Not we, enough. No, no. That's we, the yeah. answer. We, we made we, that we request. Got, her, her, oh, we we, we, we got to go. We, we got to go. We made that request. The governor will never, never let us see that. Okay. Please. I know you want to rebut that, but I want you to respond to the question. Thank you. And, and I think it's a extremely important question. I think it, 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 to your point, it transcends party lines. First and foremost, vote. Today, early voting began. I hope majority if not all of you guys have voted today whether you know you agreed with what i said tonight or agreed with the, what the gentleman has said here today make sure you vote that's the first and foremost second thing is after voting stay in the conversation as you said participate in organizations but also be willing to go to organizations that you may like, i would say step outside your comfort zone so for us if you're not if you're unsure about the republican party i'll tell you this the republican national committee has a black american community center in college park it's open Monday through Friday from 9 to 6. We've had it open uh, uh, since, uh, actually, we're celebrating our one-year anniversary, October 20th, uh, where we have these type of conversations. We have conversations on cryptocurrency investments, how to get involved in that process, uh, you know, school choice events. We have all these different things that go beyond, like, I can tell you this, more times than not, we actually don't have candidates in the room because it's open 9 to, nine to, five, nine to 6, Monday through Friday. So be involved in that process. I think that's first and foremost. Uh, we, we can do a lot on social media, we can talk, all that type of stuff, but nothing is more powerful than making sure that you're actually calling your elected officials. We have one in the room. <laughs> but, you know, making sure that you just stay involved in that process and sometimes sticking, you know, getting outside of your comfort zone. I will say this, if you're a Democrat who, and you're in a Republican state or have Republican leadership, don't be afraid to actually go into the assembly and engage with your Republican elected officials at a state level. That's important. I don't, I will say this personally as someone who actually was a former Democrat, you meet a lot of folks who don't understand because they're not actually being engaged either on these issues. They're being engaged by folks within, you know, a specific area that they live in, their neighborhood or whatever, but they don't know. Stay involved in that process. Make sure, sometimes you pick up phones, send an email, but don't be afraid to even go down to the Capitol and talk to them, directly engage with them. Make sure that they understand. Now, it may not always work. I'm sure he'll let me know, say it as well. It doesn't always work. But it's, you, you can't ignore that process. So that's, that's how I would say you make it work for us. Because at the end of the day, if Republicans are in power, Republicans are the ones still voting on the bill. Make the system, I say this, I even do this for my job as well, make it work for you. <laughs> that's the key. That was great. All right, so what I'll add to that, um, and thank you both for your response, a few things. One, yes, vote. Um, also, I agree with staying engaged, not just on election day, during election times. As someone who has worked with candidates and worked with elected officials, I encourage you to stay in their face. If they vote for something that you uh, disagree with, let them know. But at the same time, if they advocate and vote for something that you do agree with, again, let them know. Your relationship with an elected official, with whoever represents you, is just like any other relationship. 
If you only come to me when you need something, I have a problem with that. If you only come to me when I've done something wrong, I have a problem with that, right? And so just remember that they are people too. The other thing I would say is don't assume that they are smarter than you. Don't assume that you cannot also run for public office. It does not take a lot of money to run for state rep or to run for state senate. It's, and there's that. And, and I would also remind you that while we're having a conversation about statewide politics, everything is local. So you need to know who is my city council person, who is my county commissioner, because those are the people who more than the state rep, more than a state senate, certainly more than the president of the United States, directly impact your day-to-day -day life. I'm talking about why isn't there a stop sign in front of my house when I know that there are crashes? That's something your local government does. And then the last thing I would say is don't expect government to solve all your problems. I know that sounds like a garrison talking point, but I'm gonna tell you that is not a partisan conversation. Government alone cannot solve all your problems. It takes a village. And the last thing I would say is if you are concerned, and I think a lot of you are, about the future of this country, and there are very valid reasons to be concerned about the future of this country, the number one way to address that is to get money out of politics. Do you know how much money is being spent on the state, gubernatorial, and the United States Senate campaign in Georgia? We, the amount of money that's being spent on that, we could solve pre-K education, we could address homelessness, which is something we talked about tonight. We can actually fix the problems that we are facing on a day-to-day -day basis. Get money out of politics. So that's my response to that. Y'all, we are way over time. Thank you so much. Shout out to my Democratic and my Republican friends, to my Libertarian friends, I'm sorry. But we have not forgotten about you. Thank you all for tuning in. This is another episode of Where the Party At?